He's a creator, an innovator. His passion is why we listen. His knowledge is why we want to be educated. He really has spent his life focusing on people that make excuses. With a man who has turned around over 800 bars throughout the world, Bar Rescue's John Taffer. If you do tomorrow what you did today, you will get tomorrow what you got today. Happy New Year, man. Happy New Decade. Happy New Everything, man. I'm John Taffer. This is my No Excuses podcast. Welcome, everybody. The first podcast of 2020. I'll tell you, Corey, something I've never told anybody before, I don't think. I've never said this publicly before. Oh, yeah? When I was in high school, I was voted the most likely to not make it to 21. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. I won't tell you why I was voted that, but I was. So being in in a new decade is particularly rewarding to me. I made it past 21 for sure. Well, hey, congrats. Thank you, buddy. So here we are, uh, 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 first podcast of the year. And it's been an amazing couple of weeks for me. You know, I rescued my new doggy, buddy. Yeah. And you saw Cute. pictures. You haven't met him yet. I'm going to bring him by the office this week. Yeah. So everybody what would you guys him. end up naming him? So we wound up naming him Nero, N-E-R-O. That's right. And that was, uh, I want to thank everybody. We posted, I think we got almost 3,000 name recognition, uh, uh, recommendations online. Pretty amazing. Yeah. One of the cooler ones, but my wife Nicole wouldn't go for it, was Sid. I saw that, actually. Yeah. Shut it down, right? <laughs> SID was a cool one. There were a bunch of actually really great names. But we landed on Nero, and he's the coolest little guy. And I just want to make a little public service announcement, if I can now. I adopted this little guy from in front of a Petco. And, you know, this little guy was two weeks from being exterminated. And adopt a dog if you're going to get a dog. This little guy knows he was adopted, Corey. He can tell. And, and, you know, he's the second adopted dog that I have. I have two doggies now, Moxie and uh, Nero. We've rescued both of them. And it's so heartwarming to know that we rescued these little guys. So if anybody's getting a dog, try to rescue one. Don't get a puppy at a kennel. Try to rescue a dog. He's an amazing little guy, and you can save a life. Who watched the Golden Globes last night? Did you watch, Corey? No, I just saw some clips. Wow. Well, it was pretty incredible w- yeah. when uh, 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 the host said, said to Hollywood, you know, you guys have your work for Disney and Apple and blah, blah, blah. You have no right to lecture us on it. It was unbelievable to see uh, uh, him put down everybody like he did on the show. So I must say I enjoyed that moment. It was interesting to look at the looks on people's faces. I get very frustrated when people who, who you know, are worth hundreds of millions of dollars, who work in Hollywood, work for companies that, that have various international interests that don't always serve us all the best, and preach us how we should live our lives, Corey. You know, I don't preach you how to live your life. You don't preach me how to live my life. I just don't think people who are strangers should preach us. And I remember many, many years ago, and you can see this on TV, it's a pretty famous clip, Elvis Presley was asked a political question years ago. And his answer was, I don't make any comments on that. I'm just an entertainer. And I thought that was probably the coolest thing any entertainer ever said. So I was really pleased that they were, they were told <clears throat> to keep their political positions to themselves and, and that most actually did. It was actually a pretty good show because of it, Corey. It was fun rather than hearing political dissertation after political dissertation. And it was actually entertaining there for a while because it wasn't all political. So that was pretty cool. I thought it was all in all a pretty cool Golden Globe show, didn't you think? Yeah. No, that was the only clip I saw was actually uh, it was Ricky Gervais, right? Yeah, Gervais. Yeah. So that was the only clip I saw from him. I didn't actually watch the whole show, but... 
Man, I thought that was pretty heavy when he said, you know, you guys all yeah. work for Viacom, Disney, blah, blah, blah. You know, you keep your opinions to yourselves. I think he was right, actually. Yeah, then they cut to all the celebs and they're like, oh, what? Oh, yeah, he didn't get as many applause for that <laughs> as he did yeah. for some of the other things he said. But you know what? It was valid. And I've always felt that, and we've talked about this before in this podcast, Corey, that, you know, I don't think politics should be brought into football. I don't think politics should be brought into entertainment television. And I think that when we keep politics out of these things, the ratings actually get better. People get more involved. They're less divisive. And it's just overall more fun. And that's what I saw last night in the Golden Globes. Oh, man, Corey. So we've been working our asses off the past few weeks, putting together a new season of Bar Rescue. A lot of people don't know this. How many employees, you know, you've been on set, Corey, so you might have a more educated guess. But how many employees do you think work on Bar Rescue? I wouldn't. I don't even know. That, I mean, it's got to be a full production, like, you know, almost movie status with yeah, all the moving parts. and. Yeah, we'll run about uh, 110 people total. Yeah, well, that's crazy for a TV show. And we'll travel with 57, about five trucks, 57 people. So we have four cameramen, four cameraman assistants, four audio guys that travel with their little boards. We have the art department, story department, production, technical departments. Uh, uh, video departments, field production, of course, and, and all of these different departments. Make a long story short, to get Bar Rescue back on the road again means I got to have 57 crew members trained, ready to go. <laughs> I got to have my art department ready to remodel in 36 hours, work all night long. I've got to put together the team. What's great about Bar Rescue is in almost every case, most people come back. So, you know, I have people on my bar rescue team like James Aguista, Chops, our sound guy, uh, 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 Jeffrey Tungyu, a whole bunch of people on my crew who have been with me for nine years, Corey, from the beginning. Wow. So we've done over 200 episodes of television together. It makes it a lot easier when I'm bringing people back who have done it before. People who work on Bar Rescue tell me all the time it's the toughest show they've ever worked on. If they come from another show to Bar Rescue... Because we do so much in such a short period of time, Corey. We're only there four days. Right. That's crazy. So, you know, we not only have to shoot a show, we got to design it, deal with the, with the employees, train everybody, get the drinks, the recipes, get it all done, and then build it in 36 hours. So if I had a new crew and all 57 of them were new, I would be fucked right now. I mean, it would be impossible yeah. to pull off the show in four days. But thank God my crew comes back. We all love each other. It's like summer camp when we're on the road together, all of us. So about 90% of my crew came back, and we're going to start shooting January 14th. We're going to Southern California, heading to the San Diego market, going up to Orange County, heading into Phoenix, going up to Portland this year. And then from there, we're going to head east. We're going to Atlanta this season and doing a few other markets. So we're going to do, uh, I believe, 28 episodes. No, 31 episodes this year, Corey. Wow. A little bit of a West Coast run. A little bit of a West Coast run. You know, it's it's uh, it's brutal, guy. Bar Rescue, I love the work of Bar Rescue. I mean, Corey, it's really cool. Think about this. I get to go into somebody's business, help help them change their lives, remodel it, spend hundreds of thousands of dollars, leave them with this new business and go. It's pretty cool, isn't it? Oh, yeah. So, sort of like a dream job. Until you put traveling to 40 cities, <laughs> or, you know, a 1,000 overnights. And I've now shot Bar Rescue over a 1,000 shoot days. Jeez. So that's roughly 1,200 hotel nights. Wow. Roughly 300 plane flights back and forth. So I love the show, but I hate the freaking traveling. So I personally am very happy that uh, uh, <laughs> Bar Rescue is local this year. <laughs> so pushing and pushing and pushing, I've, I've been able to uh, get the show in Southern California most of this year, which, which is great. 
Also, I'm pretty excited. The last nine episodes we did last season, which haven't aired yet. So I got a call from the network two weeks ago. says to me, John, the last nine episodes that you gave us for Bar Rescue are the best episodes you've ever done. Wow. And I thought they were pretty damn good, Corey. I, you know, but when you do 180-some-odd of them, it's tough to compare them. It's also when you're in the thick of it, nothing is great to you. You know, some episodes are better than others. You know, to me, I feel more energy. But I don't know the great ones from the not great ones. You know, the audience determines that, not me. And I can imagine you have different personal experiences with the, the owners, and, and it might come out different uh, on, on the screen, you know, so... Oh, it does. And, and you know, it's interesting, Corey, the episodes that are the most unpleasant for me to shoot are typically the best on television. Right, yeah. Because I fight with them the most. They're jerks, they're drunks, they're this, they're that. So it creates great television, but, man, it's a miserable five, <laughs> five days for me. But, you know, uh, 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 if anybody is interested in becoming an expert in Bar Rescue this season, if you're a great chef, and I don't mean a, 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 a pretend chef, if you're a great chef with a real resume and you've managed kitchens and you're successful at it, send your resume to podcast at johntaffer.com. If you're a great mixologist and you have years of experience and you're a good trainer and you really know what you're doing, send your resume to podcast at johntaffer.com. That's podcast at johntaffer.com because I'm looking for a few new experts for this season, Corey. I always like to add some fresh blood. Yeah, that's cool, actually. And Phil Wills and, and you know a lot of our experts will be back this season, of course. But I like to bring in some new ones. So if you're a great chef and you're a great mixologist, again, and you've got the experience and the background to lead and train, well, send your resume to podcast at johntaffer.com and maybe you would be on Bar Rescue this season, which is pretty cool. So since I'm launching a new season of Bar Rescue March 1st, which I'm pretty excited about, Corey, and since I'm starting production of a new season on January 14th, I sort of got Bar Rescue spinning in my head. So I thought to myself, Corey, wouldn't it be fun to have a Bar Rescue owner do an interview on this week's podcast? I think it would. I don't think we've ever done that before. No, we haven't. So I thought to myself, okay, so what owner would I want to get from Bar Rescue? I want to pick a really popular episode. So I thought to myself, one of my most famous episodes, and certainly one of the most popular spirits on bourbon. And uh, so, Corey, you reached out to Brad Bohannon for me. I did. He's a very nice guy. He's a great guy, and I did that rescue now almost nine years ago, and it's still going strong. But, you know, what an interesting experience Bar Rescue is personally. And what did it mean to Brad? And how has it changed his life? And how did he get in this business at all? And, you know, are there lessons that we can learn from it? It's an amazing story, and Brad's an interesting guy. And I really thought this interview would enlighten some of you and provide some inspiration. So when I come back, I will be with Brad Bohannon from Spirits on Bourbon. Don't shut down this podcast. John Taffer will be right back. So we've got a new technology that allows you to communicate directly with the show. And you can do that at anchor.fm slash john-taffer-no-excuses. I'm going to give it to you again because it's really cool to interact with the show using it. It's anchor.fm slash john-taffer-no-excuses. And if that's too complicated for you, which I know it is for some of you... <laughs> Then you can just send the note to podcast at johntaffer.com. That's podcast at johntaffer.com. Either way, guys, make sure you reach out to me because I'd love to hear from you. This is No Excuses. 
As I'm starting my new bar rescue season, I was thinking to myself, I have never had an owner from Bar Rescue on this podcast ever, which is amazing to me. So I thought to myself, I want to pick a great owner from one of the most popular Bar Rescue episodes ever, and that's Spirits on Bourbon. So I reached out to my buddy, Brad Bohannon. Hey, bud. How you doing, JT? Good to talk to you. And you know, I thought it would be really fun to catch up. How many years has it been since I did Bar Rescue with you? I think this will be the ninth year we, since we did it. Wow, nine years ago. How Spirit's doing? It's been great. We've had healthy growth um, every year. Every year we've had double-digit growth still to this day, which is surprising. But as you know, like when you do a bar, it usually lasts four or five years, and you really have to change it a lot and even change the name to keep it fresh to have that kind of growth. But we've had that. It's just been natural, too. And still to this day, every day people come in because of that show. Wow. So now you'd never change the name Spirits. I'm guessing it'll be named Spirits 20 years from now. Uh, hopefully my kids will have it, name it Spirits, and they'll probably have <laughs> enough energy to franchise it. <laughs> you know, it it's, it's funny, Brad. When you and I met, I don't think you loved me so much when we first met back then. I'll be honest with you. I didn't. I respected you. How's that? I respected you, and I, I, had, some, I had faith in what, what you were going to do. You know, if I wouldn't have did it. You know, it, it was uh, one of my first bar rescues, and I'll never forget it for our listeners who don't know this. We shot Spirits on Bourbon on Halloween night on Bourbon Street. And I was standing up on a balcony doing interviews above Spirits, and people were screaming at me, Brad, show us your penis. Show us your <laughs> penis. Take your pants down. I mean, it was, it was an amazing scene. And those of you who have seen the episode, I'm sure you'll see it again on the Sunday marathons. Take a look at the reveal that night on Bourbon Street during Halloween. What a scene that was, man. It gets crazy. Back in the old days, before they had cell phone cameras and girls gone wild, everybody would do that. But now oh. they've got to cut that back a little bit. Yep, it's so good. They still call for it. It was a blast. Tell everybody, Brad. You know, you were you're a really successful guy, buddy. You have real estate ventures. You've been a songwriter in the music business. Where did you grow up? I grew up in the the Midwest in Missouri, right in a rural Missouri, a very modest home, a house. I grew up cost eighteen thousand dollars. I. Uh, we didn't have much, but I didn't really know it at that point, but we didn't ask for much. So uh, I kind of grew up, my grandmother's had a farm, and I kind of grew up on that, and I think that was part of the thing that helped me. So so you're very entrepreneurial. Did you get that from your family, or was this just a spirit that you got on your own? Well, my uh, grandfather my uh, grandfather on my father's side owned a grocery store when my dad was on. He died at 18, and my dad worked for the government, and I had... When I went to school, my brother was very intelligent and first in the class. He's had Science Discovery of the Year mm. um, in Science Magazine. He's very uh, just a just a brilliant guy. My sister was real intelligent, but I was always behind because I have dyslexia. And people don't realize this: I really can't read or write that well because of that. And so I was a very uh, uh, entrepreneurist, and I and I, I saw the kids, and they had nice. I remember kids having Levi's, and I had the plastic jeans. I go, I got to figure out a way to get me some nice jeans like that. I'm <laughs> like, I, don't, I don't, I don't like this anymore. And I was, I kind of realized in that small town, everybody looked at me. Um, you know, that's the kid in the learning disability class, and didn't have much, and didn't, and I wouldn't get a chance. So I said, I got to get out of here. And so I, I went, I went, and I, I was very at the very end of my class and the graduation, and I plot. My dream was to go to University of Missouri. And I was going to go there until I got a letter that says I wasn't. And uh, uh. <laughs> so, so, so then I ended up going to school and 
Uh, I worked my butt off in college and I grad got a, a four year degree in four years, which is uncommon, especially something because I took it as a job. Wow. And I took it really serious. And that was and, a uh, real challenge for you with your oh, situation. Oh, it still is a challenge. You know, yeah. you're, when you, you know, try to read and you can't comprehend stuff, and that's the great advantage of audiobooks nowadays. Yeah. So, so how did you, you, you wrote some great music and have had a background in music before the bar business, right? Yeah, well, I've had the most success as a publisher. I've, I surrounded myself with some, with um, some artists, and I, I realized what their weaknesses was the business, and mine that was my strength. And I knew that I could get a lot of stuff done with proximity, being next to people, and and knowing how to get next to them. I, I tell I, I I tell my kids I go when you when I was a kid we used to watch Sesame Street and those four squares and uh, one didn't belong. I go and that was me. I didn't belong, but I had a square. And so I got myself uh, next to that, and I got around some great writers and uh, had three or four number ones, and it's been a nice little uh, web to my income coming in. How did you decide to get into the bar business, Brad? Well, that's all I knew. When I, w when I was in college, I worked for Marriott, and uh, I was in a place called Tantara, and I'd work there in the summer, and then I would stay there, and I'd work my butt off. And then I said, I need to work. I could work all summer, and I could pay for my school, and I'd have no student loans. So I got there. And I'd work and I was a horse and I'd do, I'd do the two hour shifts and I'd mm. go there. And they said, if you graduate from college, we're going to give you a management job. And so, and I worked my butt off. And so I graduate college and then I go back to the Marriott and guess what? They give the intern the management job and I kind of got butt hurt. Mm. And so I saved up, I was a big saver and I saved up $500. And I said, I was going to move to New Orleans because my girlfriend that from high school was going to LSU. And I was like, I said, I, I got $500. This is my one shot. And I told myself I was going to stay there for a year, no matter what. <laughs> and uh, that's how it all started. So now you go down to New Orleans. You're what, 18 years old, 17 years old? I've, at that point, I graduated college, so I was 22. Okay. I think 20, 21, 22 years old. I was legal drinking age. And I started out as a, a, a doorman. And then I worked my way from a doorman, you know, uh, to a bar back, to, to a bartender to a manager, to the general manager, and to uh, the manager of the whole operation. And I made them, we went from like a, a million dollar company to a, a multi, multi, multi-million dollar company where they had to let me in as a partner. So that was Turtle Bay, right? That was uh, Tropical Isle. Tropical Isle, gotcha. Yeah. So now, so you perform so well, it's funny, Brad, because a similar thing happened to me. So now you're performing well, you raise the revenues. Now they can't pay you enough, so they got to give you some equity. Yeah, they had to give me a little piece of the action. Well, they meant we buy into it. So it wasn't given to me like some people thought, but I had to I had to take a loan out like the rest of them. But mm. I knew the opportunity was there and I knew it was if I had some more control, I could I could streamline it where I could make a lot of money, and which I did. So so you did well and then you opened spirits separately without your partners on your own, right? Well, well then what happened is they didn't they were opening some other ventures and they were opening some other ventures with, I was pretty loyal to them. I brought a couple of my buddies down from Missouri and opened their bars. And I took no piece of it. I didn't take any piece of it out of respect for them because I knew it just kind of the way their ego was that it, they would get butt hurt with that. Mm. Um, so I didn't do it. And I was like, it, it was kind of hard because they were making money. And I was like, okay. And I was kind of limited on what I was because even as an owner, no one knew I was owner owned it because of just the way they are wired and their egos and mm -hmm. stuff. And I didn't want to stir it all up. Yep. And so I knew I knew my place and what where my lane was. And so then they started. They were they were exploring without me to see where doing some stuff without me in other areas. And I was like, well, this is my other opportunity. 
And then I opened another bar by the airport, and then I opened Turtle Bay. So when you opened Turtle Bay, then you opened Spirits. How long after Turtle Bay? Uh, when I Spirits was probably two years. Because I remember when I met you, you had had some partner dispute with the Turtle Bay guys. Mm-hmm. And you were fixated on trying to to beat them at spirits. Is that about right? That was that was that was. There's a lot of truth to that. Ah, um, and it was the guy. He just passed away this this last month. My old partner and uh, we we never really made the men's that we should have. And my other partner, we kind of have started making roots to to doing that now. That since he's passed, um, but he was kind of my protege on that, and he was so compulsive and. And it, and I knew I knew him better than he knew him. I knew his moves before he would do them. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, he kind of, and we kind of enjoyed going against each other. If that made any sense, it was like yeah. it, was, it was like Darth Vader against Luke Skywalker in a lot of ways. And at the end of the day, we we all some of our mutual friends got together last week. We were talking about. It. I go, even even all the stuff that was bad and said like that. We both kind of enjoyed beating each other up a little bit because it was it was competitive. At the end of the day, I think he was proud of me. I remember during Bar Rescue, you and I took a walk with Steve, your partner, great guy, that took a walk together down Bourbon Street to Turtle Bay, and I remember looking at you and saying to you, your future has nothing to do with them. It has everything to do with spirits. And I actually saw in your face, that was like a moment for you, wasn't it? Well, the funny thing is, when you were walking me over there, and I was like, oh, hell, I was like, this guy is going to bring me into a meeting with these two. And we've been battling. I mean, mm. it was been, it was been, it was some battle. And I, we're going to be in a room. I'm like, he doesn't know this is not going to be good, because I'm gonna, uh, There's probably going to be some tables turned over here. And I was like, thinking. And then you like said, it's not about that. You know, it's basically you're saying control what you can control because if you don't, it affect. If you can't control it, if you can't control it, affects the stuff you can control. And I, I kind, that's when I kind of realized I go. I just got to move on with it and have fun and just be the best I can. Yeah, boy, and you did. I remember, you know, a lot of listeners don't know how Bar Rescue comes together, but we had never met before. I had never been in your bar before I get there. And this was, you were the first episode of season two. So I had only done 10 Bar Rescues at the time. It was still sort of new to me too, Brad. So I go down there and now we're on Bourbon Street. I think there's 57 bars or something in three blocks in that area, if I'm not mistaken. And I got to come up with a concept and I'm stumped. I don't know what to come up with. So I have my team do some internet research and we found out that there was a barber named Edward Dubois who got killed in that building like 150 years earlier. Right, Brad? That was a story. That's true. And from that story on the internet, I created Spirits on Bourbon, the spirit of Edward Dubois. We created the resurrection. We created the whole concept just around that one little simple story. And I still believe it's one of the best concepts I've ever done on Bar Rescue, to be honest with you. I think it's it's the advantage that we had, and it's the first the first season, the people couldn't touch those bars and see it. And I think we were the most accessible one still to this day where people can go in there. We're in there. You know, I'm, I, there have, I've never met a, a stranger. So I'll talk to anybody and I have a talk and you know, I get <laughs> diarrhea of the mouth and they kind of enjoy that, I think. Uh, so I think that's kind of cool. I, was, I, was, I came in last week and I, I go in the back of the courtyard and there's uh, like seven people in a circle doing a seance trying to trying to call Edward Spear again. I was like, what is going on here? So it's working. <laughs> I guess so. I don't know if they got him or not. I wanted to get there. I wanted to get out of there before he came. You know, it's funny. I was reading an article this morning about the uh, all the uh, food and beverage rescue shows, 
and I don't want to mention names or anyone, but there was another show that, that according to this publication, runs like a 28% success factor. And I'll, t- I'll say what it was. It was Restaurant Impossible. And according to this magazine article, they run like a 21% success factor. And then they had Kitchen Nightmares, and it ran like a 28% factor. And then they had Bar Rescue, which according to them runs about a 71% factor. And I was really, really proud of that. But there's something that's interesting, Brad. When I now have done 186 Bar Rescues, and you are one of the most successful owners I've ever done, and whereby I think I did a pretty good job with your bar, don't get me wrong, I've done other great bars on Bar Rescue and owners have completely failed. Bar Rescue didn't make you successful, Brad. You made yourself successful. All Bar Rescue really did was give you a platform. Don't you agree? Well, and and it gave me an outline. I think that was the whole thing for me. It gave me a different concept to kind of believe in and and, and run with. And, And for me, I hadn't had a boss in a long, long time. And I felt like I have some responsibility to you after that show, for your reputation, I felt like if I failed, I failed you too, and that was, that kind of motivated me too. I was like, oh, because you know they'll send you they'll send you an email still to this day if I did something wrong, or oh, like yeah. you know what I mean, which is like like you're my like my paw or something. <laughs> it's funny. <It's>, uh, <laughs> it is. So, if but, people go to Spirits on Bourbon and and their steak is a little <laughs> overcooked, they send an email to me. <laughs> They bypass me and they go right to you, like, like, oh, I'm gonna get you spanking. But um, th- that kind of that kind of uh, motivated me a little bit because I didn't really want to disappoint you because I knew how important it was to you to be successful. And I think for your success, you needed us to be successful. Absolutely. You know, it was interesting how we gained such respect for each other during those five days together back then, where you know we didn't know each other as well. It's a powerful human experience, Bar Rescue, isn't it? Dude, it's one of the best weeks of my life. It's crazy. It's ups and downs. And I mean, Steve sit around and laugh about it and uh, uh, how much fun. I mean, I really, at the end of the day, it was fun. Yeah. And it was exciting. And, and it was a, an emotional, it was an emotional journey. And I always tell everybody, everybody thinks there's all this screaming. I go, there's a lot more uh, uh, hugging than there is screaming on the show that you don't see. Yeah, it's true. It's true. So nine years later, you and I are good friends, buddy. We support each other any chance that we get. You know, I can always call Brad to support my charities, the things that I'm doing. By the way, thank you, buddy. You just bought a table for Keep Memory Alive, the gal in Las Vegas. I mean, in life, we need to come through for each other. All of us do. And, 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 you know, I, I think talk about that, too. So do I, Brad. And, you know, I'm talking to our listeners for a minute now, because how many of us don't do those things for each other? I've got a friend in Brad Bohannon that I know I can call anytime and he will come through for me. And he knows that he can call me and I'll come through for him. We're not brothers. We weren't born by the same mother. We didn't grow up together. We're not high school buddies. We don't talk to each other all the time. But there's a certain connection that you develop with certain people in your lives. Why do you think, Brad, you've been so successful in Bar Rescue when other owners have not? Uh, because I respect it. I think I have a, 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 I have a mutual respect for you, and, and I felt like you respected me. Like, even when I would talk to you in the middle of it when it's bad, you listened with your mouth shut. That people don't – like, people see you screaming, but when I told you what I was thinking, you listened, which was important to me. And a lot of that doesn't make the camera. Well, it's your business. I'd be a fool if I didn't listen to the owner, and I try to listen every time, you know, right or wrong. Why do you think you're successful as an entrepreneur? I mean, you're a marketing monster, buddy. You took this platform and just ran, ran with it and turned your business into a monster. What makes you, you 
be so revenue oriented, so promotion oriented, so marketing oriented? Uh, well, because I looked at it and I was like, why does everybody fail? And I've always thought about why, why? And I would look and I'd go, because everybody wants to make a million bucks and one little pop. And I was going, man, I just want to make a dollar a million times. Mm. And that's kind of the way I looked at it. And I was like, I can do it. The turtle wins. The turtle wins the race every time. You don't have to get that big pop. You'll get those in life where you get like big hits. You'll get a big yeah. song on the radio and get a big, uh, a big check that you don't think is real in the mail. But there's times where like it's the dollar a day, the, 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 each drink you're making, instead of making $6, you're making nine. That's the stuff that matters where you can change other people's life. And, and being able to make that extra money, I've been able to put my friends. I've moved three of my friends from Missouri down here that own bars now. Wow. They otherwise would have never been to New Orleans. Wow. But at the end of the day, Spirits is up millions of dollars. Right. Right. So, so, it, you, so you did get your millions. You just got it a dollar uh, at a time. A dollar at a time. <laughs> you know? It is, and nothing comes quick. You know, you, you got a lot of, you start out in a business, people don't realize, like, you've got to have staying power. Yeah. If you don't have, that's, I think that's a, the biggest weakness of people open businesses. When they open it, they don't have enough to withstand the initial year. If you can stay in one or two years, because people, I was like, I tell my wife, I go, people go out, you know, once they get 30, they might only go out three or four times a year. And they got three places they've already been to. And there's seven places to choose from. You got to, you got to get in that rotation. So sure it takes do. a while to do it. And even on Bourbon Street, you can't get, you don't really get the locals like that. Your local comes every three years for their convention. So it's even harder to build that establishment. And you got Being 50 bars that, next door to you too. So yeah. Oh, yeah. People think I mean, you open yeah, a bar on Bourbon Street, you can't miss. No, it's hard on Bourbon Street. It's harder than probably opening somewhere else. Yeah. I mean, you know, because it, you're you're at battle all the day, and every day you start over. Every day is this is the number you have to make. This is where you got to be. You know, and that's important. I always tell them. I, I tell my kids. I go listen to the basketball coach. I go. They go. I go. When you see that target over there, when you shoot the basketball, that's the target. That's what you have to do in everything in life. If you have a target, you have a, a better shot of making it. If you're shooting it up there, you're not even going to make it. So that's that's kind of the way I do. I have a target, and I just aim for it and have goals every day. You have a great partner in Steve Smith, and I know you guys work well together. What do you think makes a good partner? Well, for me, was um, he understands me. Uh, I would be a hard partner to be with just because I'm quirky and and, I, and I'm a home run hitter too. You know, I got big ideas and, and I'll have, I'm not afraid to, to strike out a hundred times because I know if I get that one, if I, if I hit one home run to win the world series, that's all people talk about. They don't talk about the 99 strikeouts. Right. And I'm not afraid to fail. And he's like, Oh, and he's like, he's like a, a slow, he's like, Oh, this, he likes to keep everything how it is. And so he kind of regulates me. We're only strike out 10 times for every one victory. So you check so. each other, so to speak. <laughs> and we have a mutual agreement. Like, the only time we've ever gotten a fight was on the show. Which was that? Which moment? When he got mad at me, he's like, I wouldn't defend him on you. Oh, is that when I said to him, you're a failure? And he goes, you can't yeah. call me that. I said, I'll say it again. You're a failure. <laughs> he and I laugh about that. He and I laugh about that to this day. You know, it's funny. People watch Bar Rescue, and they don't understand how personal it gets. And the uh, kind of relationships that have developed from it. But, you know, you and I are friends for life because of this television show and this experience. I, I, I tell my wife, you know, I look at you, John, and, I, you know, I'm proud of you for what you do. And I see all this little stuff you do. And I said, at the end of the day, when it's all gone and all the all the cameras are gone and, and, and you're not on TV all the time, and we're still going to be friends. And I'm still going to be there for you. I know you will. And I, too, you, buddy.
So what is the, the uh, 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 greatest lesson that you've learned from all this exposure of Bar Rescue and the media, and how has it changed you personally? Uh, it's it's opened a lot of doors for me. It's like it's 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 made me. I mean, first of all, it kind of puts you in a plat. It automatically puts you if you're successful. It puts you on a platform where people have a little respect for you, and you get to. Um, I've got to be on some great forums. I got to mm-hmm. do some consulting, um, and the people are more willing to listen to you. I've got to do a lot of cool TV shows. I mean, just all because of this. Amazing, really amazing. How's New Orleans? What's going on down there? Is the economy strong? Yeah, everything's been the economy's been great. We uh, we had just finished Bourbon Street. They refinished it, did all the plumbing, so it it, it just has a tint of the smell of urine, other than the, <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> less than it used to have. Yeah, but it's they've been working on the the infrastructure of it all, so I think it's it's almost done, and it's going to be a, a great a great ending. So I'm about to start another season of Bar Rescue, buddy. I start shooting uh, January 14th. I'm doing 31 this year, which is a lot of TV. And if any of these owners were listening right now, before they started Bar Rescue, what would your advice be to them? Like, you you have have to believe in the system. If you don't believe in the system, it's not going to work. And it has to start from the very top all the way down. And uh, most of the time, it's like you'll have the owner. The owner doesn't believe in it. And, the, and the, nowadays, when Bar Rescue comes in, the employees want to believe in it more than the owners do, I think. Yeah, in many cases, you're right. And it's like if they if they don't believe on it at the top, it's never going to work. And I know, I think you know too, there's there's some bars you go in and you could stay in there and it's not going to work because the guy's an asshole. Yep. Or he's got an alcohol problem. Or I mean, or, yep. I mean this, this is a tough business, and that's what I've always thought about. With my kids, I'm like, do I want to leave this? Because I look at these second-generation owners, and it scares me. You know, sometimes I get there, Brad, and and I know from meeting them right from the get-go, there's no way in the world I can make this guy successful. You know, I, I could build him the Taj Mahal, and he's still going to fail. You know, that there's no way I can. And sometimes, you know, these days in Bar Rescue, sometimes I'm fighting for the employees more than I'm fighting for the owner because they care more than he does. I truly think they're, the employees are more excited about it than the um, than the owners most of the time. I think that's you true. See them, they want to learn, and, and they're excited to be, and it's an opportunity for them like to surround themselves with people that know what they're doing, and it's just they take advantage of it a lot more than the owners, I believe. Yeah. So it's a great economic time in our country. You know, small business is growing everywhere. Would you recommend that somebody go into the bar business? I would recommend if you like go in the bar business if you love it. It, and that, not to love it, to drink and to, 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 to lay women and to do it. If, if you want to do it as a business and that's your job, you can do it. But the, the other people that do that, they fail. And it's, they do it for the wrong reasons. You have to consider it a job. Now that I think about it, I've never seen you have a drink. I'll drink a Bud Light every once in a while. I drink a little bit every once in a while. I'm just not a big drinker. Yeah, that's probably why you're a good bar owner. Steve's not a big <laughs> drinker either, is he? He's not a big drinker at all either. And, uh, and everybody, and the funny thing is everybody thinks you do. Yeah, it's because you own a bar, right? Well, I'm not a big drinker either. You know that about me. So, you know, to me, alcohol is for selling, not for yeah. drinking. So, well, so. I got to take a shot with you one time. I thought that was pretty cool. I, that, that got off my bucket list. Yeah, we did. Well, there's not a lot of people in life that got to do that, huh, John? No, we'll have to do that again soon, buddy. So, so, listen, I want to wish you a really happy new year. Thanks for having you here, buddy. You know, I thought having you on a podcast to launch a new season of Bar Rescue would be great. You know, Brad, you are one of my favorite owners, buddy. I love you for your charity. 
I love you for the work you do in your community. I love you as an individual. I love you as a dad. I love you as a husband, buddy. And, and you know, and I love you as a bar guy. So, you know, uh, it's an honor to be your friend and to think that, the, you know, the work that I did in Bar Rescue is, has a positive impact on your life is incredibly rewarding to me. Thanks, buddy. And I thank you for everything, and I'm going to try to pass it forward as much as I can and uh, to represent your name uh, better than any other Bar Rescue person there is out there. And I know you will, but uh, you're not done yet, buddy. I'm getting you back for recon this year, okay? I'm in. I'm in. Anytime you need me, I'll All right. make it happen. All right, buddy. Bad Brad Bohannon from Spirits on Bourbon. Listen, when you're down in Bourbon Street, you got to go to Spirits on Bourbon. Brad, tell everybody the website and where they can find you guys. It's uh, uh, spiritsonbourbon.com and Spirits on Bourbon on Instagram and, uh, and on, uh, on Twitter. And mine is Bohannon Brad on Instagram and Brad Bohannon on, on Facebook. And last question, just for fun. How many resurrections a month are you selling now? We, I think we're doing about 100,000, 112,000 I looked last year um, for the year. That's, uh-huh. what we, uh, that's what I sold. Uh-huh. Not counting refills. 112,000 resurrection cocktails. And it's funny, that was the biggest challenge when I did Bar Rescue was coming up with that cocktail. So we, yeah. we nailed that sucker, didn't we? Oh, that's crazy. It's three, that's, uh, we're averaging three and a half containers a year of just cups coming. Uh, they come in semi-trucks. Wow. I'm really proud of that, buddy, and I'm proud of you. So I appreciate everything you Thanks, do for Brad. me, and uh, and I'm I'm proud of you, and I see all the, the the great things that you are doing, and and I'm your biggest cheerleader. Uh, thanks, buddy. Well, everybody listening, you'll be able to see Brad later this season on Bar Rescue when you're down in in New Orleans. Hit spirits on bourbon. Get one of those resurrection cups. You'll be glad you did. Thanks, buddy. We'll talk soon. Thank you, kindly. You know, it's amazing after nine years the kind of friendship that was created from Bar Rescue. And I say this often, but I'm not sure I've ever said it on this podcast. Bar Rescue is this fake platform. I show up with trucks and wires and microwave equipment and cameras and microphones, and we install all this in a bar, and everybody knows it's there. So from this artificial platform of a television show, the most real moments of my life come out of this. And Brad is a great example. When I was in Spirits and Bourbon, nothing was anything but real. We fought, we bickered, we argued. I worked my butt off to come through for him. Nine years later, he's rocking and we're great friends. And, you know, that's Bar Rescue at its best. But I say to Brad all the time, I didn't do the heavy lifting. I did the light lifting. He and Steve did the heavy lifting. They turned it into the success that it is. So Bourbon, uh, uh, Spirits on Bourbon is now one of the most successful bars on Bourbon Street. And listen to this, Corey. The barbershop chair is one of the most photographed attractions on Bourbon Street. Wow. Now I find out he's done over 100,000 resurrection cocktails this year. That's insane. When, I I mean, when, he, when he said that, I was like, wow. You can, you can make a living doing that. So, <laughs> yeah, just... so it's an amazing success story. I'm really proud of it. And it's a great way for me to get my head back into launching a new season of Bar Rescue. But I was remiss this week, Corey. Oh, yeah? I didn't mention any of our national holidays. Oh, we didn't. I didn't do any of them. So, I mean, it's thank God it's Monday. <laughs> national thank God it's Monday day. I just unbelievable. National shortbread day. I'm just going to do a few of these now because some of them are pretty boring. So tomorrow, actually Wednesday, Corey, and you should get ready for this. You got your new girlfriend, right? I do. You got your new apartment, right? Yeah, my new puppy. You got your new puppy. So now what you need to do on Wednesday, is it's National Bubble Bath Day. Oh, I like a bubble bath. So you should take your puppy and your new girlfriend, <laughs> fly into the tub, and, and take a nice bubble bath. 
Sounds good. Thursday, January 9th is National Law Enforcement Appreciation Day. I want to mention that one because uh, uh, take our hats off and a big thank you to everyone in law enforcement who keeps us safe every day. Thursday is National Oysters Rockefeller Day. <laughs> Saturday, believe it or not, is National Human Trafficking Awareness Day. And here's a good one for you, Corey. Saturday is also National Step in the Puddle and Splash Your Friends Day. Can you believe that even fucking exists? <laughs> I mean, National Step in a Puddle and Splash Your Friends Day. There's paperwork on Capitol Hill to facilitate that. That's just unbelievable. And then, of course, we're going to finish up the week on Sunday. I'm going to give you all three. You ready? I'm ready. National Curried Chicken Day. Ooh, that's good. National Kiss a Ginger Day. Mm. And National Marzipan Day. Well, that's it for the big days, so the, not too exciting. But I like the stupider ones. Some of them are just unbelievable. National Save the Eagles Day. National Static Electricity Day, Corey. Okay. <laughs> so that's this week. So we have a lot to look forward to this week we with our do, national holidays and a whole new year. Well, because it's a new year, I asked my Cracker Jack producer, Corey, to get some call-ins for me this week. So that we could talk to people about the new year and resolutions and what they're doing. And maybe I can help somebody or fuck somebody up. I'm not sure which of the two, but let's get some calls going here, buddy. All right, let's do it. Hey, John. It's Tanner out here in uh, beautiful Louisville, Kentucky. It's a pleasure to have the opportunity to hear from you, Mr. Tapper. Um, Just wanted your advice in 2020. um, Because at the end of 2019, I went through a really terrible breakup with someone that I really thought I was going to, you know, propose to and be spending the rest of my life with officially starting this year. Um, I don't want to be a victim here. I want to, I don't want to make excuses for what's going forward. I really just want to out of this somehow become the best version of myself. Uh, any advice you can offer going forward? I would love to hear. Thank you. You know, uh, when I was young in high school, I had a girlfriend for, uh, many, many years, about nine years when I was in high school, same girl, Corey. And, uh, when we got out of high school and, and got ready to go to college and stuff, she uh, started seeing somebody else, and it blew me away. I thought that my life was over, Corey. I had no reason to live. I thought I'd never have another girlfriend again, blah, blah, blah. It was some of the darkest days of my life back then. I was devastated at the premise of her being with another man, and all this stuff was overwhelming. But, you know, time heals it. A new relationship heals it. And I find that, that you know, we all survived the death of relatives, We survived the death of dogs. We survived the death of people. But separation when they still live seems harder than separation by death sometimes, especially with relationships like this. There's only certain words of advice that I can give you, and that's this. Believe in yourself. This is a wonderful time right now. Think about this. There are many people in life who love their spouse, love their girlfriend, love their boyfriend, but miss their time alone. Time alone is a powerful thing. It allows you to be uh, 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 reflective. It allows you to, to focus upon yourself, focus upon your life. It allows you to meet new people, new friends, new things. Think of what freedom does for you as compared to what losing your girlfriend did to you. Think about all the new people you'll get to meet, all the new places that you'll go because you're not sitting with her all the time. Think of the new opportunities that you'll find, the new thoughts, the time alone and what that can mean to you. So I suggest this. I suggest as you start the new year, the new year is not about what you lost. The new year is about what you've got. You've got your freedom. You've got a whole new beginning in your life. Embrace that. 
go for it and enjoy it. What do you think, Corey? Not bad? That was not bad. That was not bad. That's what I did years ago, and it worked for me, buddy. I just stopped yeah. looking back, and that's what you got to do. Yeah. All right, who's All right, next? let's change gears a little bit, and this guy, he has a bar question. He's looking to start up a startup. All righty. Hello, John. My name is Andy, and I just wanted to say that I'm a huge fan, and I have read both of your books. I have 12 years of restaurant and bar experience, four years of which I actually own my own bar in Omaha, Nebraska. My bar was actually in consideration for Bar Rescue, but my issues with failing were that my overhead was way too high. So, to my question. My wife and I would really love to own a bar and grill again. Do you have any insight on getting funding for a startup? Yes. You know, there are many... uh, uh, When I first started in this business, I built my first two restaurants on landlord money. And every mall developer and every commercial property operator has something called TI. And TI stands for Tenant Improvement Allowance. And roughly 20% of the face value of any lease can be given back to the operator. And this is what I've learned over the years of doing business with mall operators and such. So if I'm going to write a five-year lease, let's say, or a 10-year lease, and let's say that lease, Corey, is worth a million dollars, okay? Okay. That's what I'm going to pay in rent over the 10 years. The average landlord will give me 20% of that lease back as a tenant improvement allowance to open the business. You with me? I'm with it. So if I go sign a lease and sign personally on that lease, I should be able to get landlord money back to build it. So if I sign a million-dollar lease, I should be able to get about $200,000 back to build the bar. So sometimes if you want to finance a bar, the way to do it is through the landlord where you're building it. I would look for an existing bar that closed. The most expensive part of building a bar is getting the electrical, the plumbing in the right place, putting all the floor drains, the hot and cold water lines. That's where all the expense is, the kitchen, the hoods, all that kind of stuff. If you can find an existing location that has the utilities put in place, the plumbing, the electrical, the hoods, all of those things, so all you're doing is refacing the bar, if you find that, at a decent landlord who owns a number of properties or a bigger strip center, you should be able to go into an existing space, negotiate a lease, get a tenant allowance on that lease, and use that tenant allowance to build out your bar. That's one of the cleanest ways to get into the business today. Otherwise, you know, unless you've owned a successful bar in the past, it's very hard to raise money unless you raise it through family and friends. I have a friend who raised a few hundred thousand dollars a couple years ago for his bar by giving away gift cards. So, not selling gift cards, I should say. So what he did, Corey, is he'd sell you a $500 gift card. Okay, that's good in his bar. Okay. Oh, for his future bar. For for his future bar. Got it. You're allowed to spend $100 a month on your card. So you can spend $100 a month for five consecutive months. He does it that way so nobody comes in and uses their card and makes them go broke in the first month. Right. So he raised a couple hundred thousand dollars with those cards. But here's the brilliance of it. For me to give you $500 worth of food and beverage only cost me about $150. Because of food and beverage cost. You with me? Yep. So I'm getting $500 from you. It's only going to cost me $150 in product. I don't have to pay it till the bar is open, and you can only claim $100 a month of that product. Now, here's the trick. I'm selling you a card for free food and beverage, $500 worth in a business that doesn't exist. If I don't open that business, you can sue me, can't you? Yeah. So you got to have the right paperwork. you got to explain it to people honestly. That, you know, it's possible that your card will be worth nothing, Corey, but if you can invest... 
you can have that card. Another way that I've seen somebody do it is I'll give you a thousand dollar gift card for five hundred dollars. Oh, okay. Now the thousand dollar gift card in food and beverage will cost me about three fifty. So I'm still 150 ahead of myself. I still profited on the card, got the money from you in advance, and did it that way. You need to be creative today. SBA loans are hard to get for new bar operators. Work with the landlord. Work with your friends. Work with families. Find an existing location and go at it that way, buddy, and good luck. All right. That's our final question. The final one, the grand finale. Here we go. Grand finale. Hey, John. My name is Darren, and I'm calling from Houston, Texas, and I wanted to say that I really love your show on Paramount uh, Network, uh, Bar Rescue. Um, you're one of the best people I've ever uh, saw on television. I hope to be able to meet you in person. i definitely like to be able to, to be uh, recon. Uh, my question to you, uh, John, is I'm looking to be able to open up my own sports bar and grill in the near future. It, whether I'm in Houston or back home in my uh, original uh, hometown of Shreveport, Louisiana. And I was hoping that you can be able to give me some good advice on how I could be able to run a successful business, like a sports bar and grill. Uh, if you could be able to give me some great advice, I definitely would love to be able to appreciate on your tips and your takes on what I can be able to do to run a successful uh, bar and grill. Boy, well, that's a, a, a lot of a lot of answers in that question, Corey. <laughs> that's, I cut it short. Well, first of all, let's keep in mind the average bar makes about eighteen percent profit, meaning it'll profit twelve to eighteen cents on every dollar you take in, Corey. You know, people think that bars are inherently profitable. Man, I'm paying seven bucks for a drink; it only costs them like a buck for the alcohol. So you think I'm making a fortune, right, Corey? Yeah. What about the rent? What about the payroll? Yeah. What about the insurance? What about the glass? What about the fruit? What about dram shop liability? What about unemployment? What about FICA? What about health insurance? So when you add all that up, a bar makes 12 to 18 cents on every dollar it takes in. That's it. Sure. So if you don't manage these things effectively, you're going to lose money. So, you know, a beverage cost in a bar can never be more than 21 cents. So if I sell you a drink for a dollar, Corey, it can't cost me more than 21 cents. Right. If I take in a dollar in revenue, I can only spend 28 cents of that dollar on labor. I can't spend more than 28% on labor. So if I'm spending 21% on the drink, Corey, 28% on labor, that's 38, 48, that's 50%, call it, right there, right? Right. So we got 50% on just labor and food. I haven't paid the rent yet. I haven't paid the insurance yet. I haven't put the lights on. I haven't done marketing or promotions or giveaways. So, so when you start to say, okay, rent is 10%, that gets us up to 60. That leaves 40%. Insurances and all that stuff also runs about 11%. So now we're down to 19% profit. If I don't manage those things correctly, if I spend 30% on labor rather than 28 if I let my beverage costs get up to 30% rather than 21%, if I don't manage those things, Corey, that 18% profit dries up really quickly. Yeah, I bet. And that's how bars fail. We've all seen busy bars and restaurants go out of business. They had the revenue, but they blew it when it came to managing their costs. Then I'll see other bars open. They're great at managing their costs, Corey, so much that they give you a one-ounce hamburger. It's the smallest thing you ever saw in your life because they're managing costs so much that customers don't come back. There's no value. So great bar operators have to balance it, just like great retailers, great website operators. Anyone who's in a consumer business has to know how to balance perceived value. 
Perceived value means that your price can't be too high. It's got to fit into the marketplace and provide value for the guest. If you provide that value and you manage your costs effectively, you'll be successful. If you don't manage your costs successfully and you don't establish that perceived value, you're going to fail. Lastly, most bars that fail go out of business before they would have been successful. Let me explain what I mean. You own a bar, Corey. Let's say you're doing well, buddy. Okay. Revenues are good, but you're not good at managing the cost yet, so you're losing 10 grand a month. You make it two months, you had 20 grand in the bank, now you're out of money after two months and you close. Had you had another 10 grand to make it another month, you would have figured those costs out and you would have turned it around. Right. It's like when Vince Lombardi said about a football game. He once said, I've never lost a football game. I only ran out of time. That bar didn't necessarily fail. It ran out of time. So you got to manage your revenue, manage your perceived value, manage your costs, and you got to have enough money so that you can support yourself for a couple months and pay for your mistakes. If you do those things, you'll be successful in a bar business. And if you are, it's like the greatest business in the world. Man, it's 2020, Corey. It is. It's crazy to think. Start of a whole new decade. Yeah. You know, I want this to be our best year ever. Think of where we are as a nation right now. Unemployment is the lowest it's ever been. Income is high. You know, after this holiday season, it doesn't seem as divisive as it was before the holiday season between us all, Corey. It seems to have mellowed out a little bit, you know? It really has, yeah. Even seeing the Golden Globe wasn't as divisive last night. I think that this is one of the best starts of a new year that we've had in a long time. Seize it. Seize it. What can you do to make your relationships better this year, your businesses better this year, yourself better this year? This is your chance. In the next two weeks, you can convince yourself to be different this year, to get your dreams to come true. I'm going to, Corey. I'm going to Bar Rescue January 14th with an attitude that after 180-some-odd episodes, I want to make the best episodes I've ever done, Corey. I'm going there with an attitude of being the best I've ever been, the best shows I've ever done, get along with my crew better than I ever have, be more impactful than I ever have. Even after doing it for nine years and 186 times, I'm able to say to myself, I'm going to get excited about doing it better. I'm going to get excited about doing it deeper. So I'm asking you this. Are you excited about something this year? Are you excited about doing something better, doing something deeper, doing something more meaningful, doing something more impactful? Whether it's family, whether it's friends, or whether it's yourself, this is the chance. This is your time. Do it. Do it. It's a new decade. It's a new year. And next week, Corey, it'll be a new podcast, and I'll talk to you guys then. Happy New Year, everybody. And don't forget, subscribe right now. Do it right now, any place where you subscribe to your podcasts.